Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and there's a 65% chance that this is my co-host, Scott Daly. And there's a 3% chance that this episode will be short. You gotta wonder though, Matt, what's that other 35%? <laughs> Who could I be? Uh, that is for the audience to find out. <laughs> this is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of telling you the odds, unmitigated emotional brutality, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, Victoria and company continue to listen as Dinah explains just how fucked they all are. But hey, Damsel is doing some petty crime, and it's a great opportunity to go say hi to their favorite twin. Until New Cape Mockument drives Victoria to a very dark place where she puts waste in the driver's seat. Or at least it's like one of those driver's ed cars where they both have a steering wheel. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> Matt, what did you think of these two chapters? Well, these were awesome. It was great to check in with Dinah after so long and get sort of some context for what's been going on in the, in the background of the story up to, the, up to this point. And also, you know, to kind of re- recast some suspicion on Contessa, of course. Mm-hmm. And then we move on into this very interesting fight where, yet again, Wildbo has fi- found a way to make something, to, to put a new twist into the combat so that it remains interesting and fresh. Uh, in this case, it's uh, the heroes can't use certain aspects of their powers, and that makes it cool. And then, of course, there's the whole waste thing that we'll yeah, talk the, about at the, length. The literal game-changing thing. Yeah. Uh, that is game-changing to us, the reader. But oddly enough, our protagonist just seems pretty cool with it. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> we'll talk all about that when we get to it. Uh, let's just go ahead and do it. Let's do it. All right, cool. So quick announcements first. Uh, this Friday, we are doing our monthly book club at uh, on Friday night. Um, uh, the, the book we're covering is the Well of Ascension, which is the second of Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn novels. Mm-hmm. So if you like that book, if you've read that book, um, come join us. It's a live book club. It's a live uh, YouTube stream. And, and we will, you know, it's interactive. So that's that's fun. So, yeah. Yeah. And the last time we last time we did a Mistborn book, um, everything broke on the live stream and it was terrible. So ho- hopefully this is our chance to make up for that. We'll I'm sure see. it'll be fine. Um, all right, let's move on into the chapter. All right. All right, so 16.3 begins with Miss Militia continuing to interview Dinah and Nieves. Dinah elaborates on what some of her manipulations have been throughout the story. And I like how this like basically confirms Gary's worst fears, right? Like this whole time he's been, and she downplays the amount of manipulation, but at the end of the day, she was kind of pushing him towards this. So like he's been controlled by a cape like the whole time kind of 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's got to be going over like everything that's happened to him in this story. Like, yeah, yeah. What was that? You know, was that a terrorist attack on the on the settlement? Part of her plan to to push him to galvanize him into into being in this position. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's it's got to be a real mind job for for just a normal person who doesn't have to deal with this kind of thing all the time, like our other characters do. Yeah, and I mean, he was he was always a guy that was so worried about the power that that capes have and the power to control the regular populace that they would have and dinah's here is here like yeah i did that it's 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 for your own good yeah i'm doing it for the good of all of us but right but yeah i kind of did do that i like how victoria describes him as looking not happy about it but also not (laughs) mad at her like he's just resigned he's like yeah yeah, okay well figures figures there's a a lot of people in these two chapters they're just kind of resigned to what's happening yeah that's true it's a really bad spot Mm-hmm. Uh, so meanwhile, Golem jo- joins Breakthrough watching the video feeds and fills them in on uh, basically just some other commentary about what, what's been happening. For one thing, it's clarified that causing Citrine and Hashtag Man to rush to their exit was what killed Kurt. Uh, so the Harbinger wasn't actually in on it. It was They were just a tool. When you wrote Hashtag Man... Uh-huh. In the script, uh-huh. I thought you were just like being quick and writing number man. Uh-huh. And then you actually just said hashtag man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It's way, it's way better this way. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what the, what this part is doing, you know, is if we recall at the end of arc 15, there was some confusion and some theories out there about what actually happened here with Citrine and number man, right? Because there was some, some incongruous information where they said they were going to be part of the raid, but then they were in the office. So people were thinking something might be going on here. And at the end of the day, um, nothing was going on here, right? It was just exactly as it was laid out to us. Um, so I think what Wild Bo is doing here is kind of having a moment where all that is clarified, right? Like yeah. they left as soon as they got the report, trusting Contessa, the anti-parahuman faction had prepared a bomb. Kid Cassandra alleges that they wouldn't have missed the bomb if they hadn't received the message. By that logic, sending them the instructions killed them as surely as if she pulled the trigger of a gun. Do I have that right? Um, and someone nods and says yes and then we're like okay we get it and i can't remember if we've talked about this before but this strikes me as as the type of thing that is u- unique like extremely unique to this kind of storytelling um because i think all writers have moments in their books where they were trying to convey something thought they had conveyed something and then some people read it and they take away a different meaning they get confused and sometimes you want that to happen right but sometimes you're trying you're just you're just trying to so have facts come across and Mm -hmm. and wires get crossed and i mean that's what the editing process does right like you have people edit not just for for errors um for content and for for understanding and someone doesn't get this you're okay i need to go back and fix it um this book doesn't have that because of the just the the manner of which it's being published Mm -hmm. and so like we've said before, everyone reading it is kind of like those test readers, right? And so what Wildbill does is I think he sees a, and this is all speculation, I don't actually know whether this is true, but what he sees a, a moment like this where maybe what was happening got a little confused, um, it didn't come across as clearly as, as he wanted it to, so he goes back in in a later chapter and just has a character clarify this for us, just just state it. Um, and... I mean, that's that's something you only really do in this type of storytelling, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the, I'm, as I'm as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about your your analysis here, and I'm just just for the sake of playing very mild devil's advocate, I'm, I'm thinking like maybe it's the case that anytime you you give the reader 
information that is important at the time, but it has to be delivered in, in a in a quick way because you're in a very tense scene, then in order to make sure that that information actually lands in, in the in the proper way, you might have to come back to it later. Yeah, um, that's a fair point. But like, but like, I, I do think that what you're talking about does happen. Where, you know, I mean, I, I'm I'm pro- out of the two of us, I'm definitely the one who who will who will often be like, well, that character said this, but <laughs> we should we should always assume that this is an elaborate game of chess that Wabo is playing against the reader, and of it's like, and and you're usually like let's just assume that it's true until we're told it's not true. And, and usually that's correct. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he, Wildbo's actually almost never just like misleading us. And yeah. It, it's, the, bu- it, the book very rarely yeah. outright lies to you. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that is interesting. I mean, I, I see that as one of the strengths of, of serials is that the, the author can, can kind of tack with the, the wind and um, make modifications on the fly because, yeah. I mean, like, like you said, I, I, I think it's kind of, I think the whole medium of serials is pretty awesome because the ability to have thousands and thousands of um, of test readers allows the author to really tap into what what people are feeling, you know, in in, in a yeah. way that just like sitting there writing a novel by yourself doesn't. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, the, the, I guess the the thought I want to bring up here. Um, let's assume that the goal of the text, again, we don't know this 100%, but let's just assume, let's get into the head of the writer and assume that the goal of the text at the time the the number man assassination attempt happened was that that information was conveyed in its entirety um, and, and was meant to be taken as, as truthful, as 100% truthful, right? Um, and, and then that didn't happen quite that way, so an edit had to be made after the, or not an edit, but a, a passage had to be made after the fact to clarify. Let's assume that is 100% the case. We don't know for sure, but let's assume it. Mm-hmm. If I'm then taking this book and editing it, you know, for a future published version or whatever, do I do I change that? Do I go in and, and take out the clarification and then just rewrite the part to make it clearer? Um, or do I leave it the way it is? And I don't I don't I don't know if there's a right answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like in some cases maybe you would want the reader to be confused and uncertain until later. Sure. Um, I don't, in this particular case, I don't see any dramatic benefit to it being confusing. Like the, the, the dramatic impact of like, Oh man, a car bomb just blew up Citrine and number man. Like that's, that hits you harder if you just believe that it's true in that moment. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I don't know, but that's again, it's, it's it seems like, there's a lot of variables involved, obviously. I, I mean, I do think it's funny just to think about this, you know, scope of an entire book, right? Um, the, there are probably many, many times in which which this happens. With, I mean, there's stuff that people don't even talk about that I wanted to convey this. Uh, no one mentioned it in any of the comments, any of the conversation about yeah. this book. No one mentioned this one thing. So I have to go in later and and hit that beat again and hope people notice it this time. So mm-hmm. there's, I think, hundreds of those kind of little events, you know, peppered through the book. And editing mm-hmm. is part of making a decision Okay, what do I do with those? Mm-hmm. How, how? What is the right way to do? It? And that's why, like, you look at, you, like, I, I think of a project of editing a book like this and how long it's going to take to really get the edit down. And I'm like, not, not envious of, of yeah. <laughs> Wild Bo for the task because yeah. that's it's a lot of decision making, it's a lot of tough choices, it's a lot of just work, just work. Um, dang, and that that I mean, this is this this moment here just made me like go down that rabbit hole and think about all these different things. 
it is an interesting thing to think about. I mean, I personally think of, you know, Worm and Ward as they exist in web serial form as a thing. And then yeah. if Wild Bill ever does come out with giant, uh, an entire bookshelf thick um, novel versions of them, <laughs> that that's going to be basically a separate, that's going to be a different thing in, yeah. in my mind anyway. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, agree. that's just, it's, it, it is, it is an interesting medium and we haven't talked about the medium in a while. So yeah, yeah and I, I think. I think one of the reasons why that popped up is because I saw another subreddit thread that was like, what's the status on the, the worm edit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, and my first thought was like, you don't understand how much work <laughs> it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was just a cool, a cool discussion of the medium. Anyway, we can go on now. Sorry. Okay. This is why, this is why the episodes are three <laughs> hours long. Yep. Uh, so I like how the interview is conducted with Miss Militia, almost perfectly avoiding phrasing anything as a question. Like instead of saying, uh, you know, can you ask more questions than you used to? It's it's uh, understood. I understand you can ask more questions than you used to. <laughs> and then and then letting her re- reply. And I mean, it's fun because the story, the book doesn't doesn't remind us why that is. We just trust that you remember, like, if you ask Diana a question, there's a pretty good chance her power is going to interpret it as a power question and you use up one of her slots for the day. Yeah, I mean, she does specifically ask for that, though, in the yeah, section. She, she says to Mish Militia, please please don't ask me questions. Uh, it's, it's like that, you know, anytime I see something like this, because I've read four whole arcs of pact and I'm clearly an expert of it now, Uh it makes me think about like the Pactian attention to detail and dialogue that that book just by its very nature brings. Right. Um, and, and so I I think this is just great and I really like that. And, uh, I think it's also funny to see that Nieves, not not so much, right? He's like we see throughout this section, he's asking questions. Didn't you? Why not? Like he's just constantly yeah. peppering her with questions, and you gotta feel pretty awful for her. Yeah, Miss Militia does slip up at least once, but yeah. she does a yeah. pretty good job, though. Yeah, I mean, and it's like it, it is really funny because it's like it's just kind of kind of cheating. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we get a bunch of things clarified for us. Like we said, uh, she says the real the, the reason she focused on the anti-parahuman faction was that nobody else was paying enough attention to them and they weren't rife with weird powers-related blind spots like Mm -hmm. Mama Mathers. Also, she admits that she couldn't see past the portal disaster um, prior to that point in the story, but she tried to make sure everyone was in decent shape beforehand. So that's that's interesting. Like I think that'll be interesting information on a reread in particular as as you're going through. You're like, okay, we're everything before the portal disaster. Dinah's hand is in that, but she doesn't know what's going to happen after it. So it's almost like a separate epoch of the story from her point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I and I think we mentioned this already, but it it helps explain the whole why is this pot not boiled over this pot that we've been letting simmer since arc one of the story? And I know it's what been like two months like book time but it feels like it's been a long time so i'm just like when is when is this gonna boil over when it's gonna happen and the book is here telling us like this is why it didn't because dino mm-hmm. was doing work this is why it didn't happen um everything that you've been dealing with she's been involved in in some way um and she's painting this picture of like she's working behind the scenes the whole time um which i mean again i th- I like this and i think it's noble of her to try to do this why do these have people have to be so damn secret with it all the time though like all these people are like, I'm working to the benefit of humanity, but I cannot tell you anything about what I am doing until after it's ruined. <laughs> well, I'm sure it would change the numbers. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean the, act- well, the actual reason is it would, it would mess up the plan. And if she told, you know, if she tells the wardens about it, they're going to be like, oh, we, we're not comfortable with that. But, <laughs> um, well, maybe you shouldn't do it then. Maybe, maybe. 
just maybe. Yeah. It it is it is like it's fun. It's fun that we have this element. We've we've been talking through almost the whole story about Dinah because we knew from very early on, like, oh, Dinah is talking. Dinah's talking to the anti-parahumans. What, what could she be doing? What could she be doing in the background? And like the the Chekhov's gun going off is her being like, yeah, everything that I was planning is ruined. Yeah, thanks, guys. I yeah. didn't tell you about it, but you ruined it. <laughs> yeah. So, but it, I mean, it's a it's a fun little subversion of our yeah. expectations because we were definitely expecting like, oh yeah, Dinah's going to come out. It's all going to be part of a Dinah plan. That's kind of true. Like everything was kind of part of a Dinah plan, but now the plan is is ruined. So that's yeah. that's a that's a neat twist. Yeah, uh, and so here's one thing I want to discuss with you about this though. Um, like Dinah says, she got involved with the anti parahuman stuff specifically because it was a thing that no one else was really paying attention to. And it was something that had no blind spots around it. So out of everything she could do, she could do the most with this. Right. But she also kind of supports it a little bit. Right. Because in this conversation with Miss Melissa, she says something that we've heard rain say in relation to a, a Gary Nieves argument, which is we're scary as hell. And she basically Tony Starks it and says, we need to be put in check. Um, so like as much as she is not like, like doesn't hate parahumans and isn't like like she she definitely supports the movement in some of their like core ideologies i think um so i don't think it's just the fact that she could she could help in this area the most yeah i, I don't think i would have thought about the connection unless miss militia herself pointed the connection out to me but the fact that Dinah is this person who was kidnapped and abused by capes. Yeah. I mean, the fact that she is a cape is almost secondary. Like, like she, her her whole, her whole worldview is like, yeah, I got sucked into this horrible cape world of violence and being kidnapped and then almost being kidnapped again. Yeah. Um, Wasn't, I mean, wasn't the main motivating factor of what she did after that moment was to not make sure that never happens again. She never gets in a situation where that happens again. I I thought it was, I mean, it makes sense. Like she talks about, you know, she goes to visit the wardens and she tells them I I hired mercenaries to break me out. Like that's, that's a pretty, like, it's not, it's not an insane step to take, but it's Mm -hmm. a pretty, it's a pretty serious thing to do. Right. Yeah, like yeah. like to be like I'm gonna go visit you know you, you, when you go visit the police station to be questioned in, as a witness but not as a suspect you don't tell the cops that you have mercenaries hired to break you out <laughs> if they arrest you let me put it that way <laughs> that's true that's true yeah I mean I think she's she's a really fascinating character and I, I like that she's she's complex yeah yeah um but yeah I mean I I like that her her basis for being more on the anti parahuman side is deeply baked into her character from from the get yeah and it it makes sense that she echoes something that rain would say because he went through a very similar thing right it was Mm -hmm. it was capes that really fucked his up his life up too so yeah i I like that i like that in the within this anti-parahumans movement you have the outliers that truly just hate these people and are never gonna understand but you have a lot of a lot of complicated emotions going on here yeah i mean and that's interesting because dinah while her power is is strong, she probably feels very weak because she was held captive for so long. Rain is similar where he started out very weak. And, you know, remember when his power was just like every, it was kind of the, the butt of a joke. It was yeah. just his power sucks. And it's sort of gotten better just because he's gotten better at using it. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, moving on, Dinah describes having looked for a specific future using that aspect of her power that leaves her lays out, laid out for days 
and she found a desirable future where Nieves has instituted a citywide strike. There's a propaganda video that has made the rounds, convincing people to spread out. The villains are defeated, and uh, the middle of the city is uh, destroyed by a big disaster. But overall, the deaths are minimized because of the various plans she put in, in, into effect. But of course, Contessa has derailed this future. Yeah, so I think it's interesting that basically in this, this is this is Dinah's ideal outcome, right? And even in this ideal outcome, whatever is going to break the ice still happens. It's yeah. just not quite as bad. Um, so like this is almost inevitable at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it makes you wonder like, okay, so basically her whole plan is aimed at getting people to evacuate and spread out. Yeah. And you, if you step back from it, she can't just run out there and say like, oh my God, everyone evacuate, evacuate and spread <laughs> out. Like, like that would, that would probably be much worse than this somewhat more complicated and subtle way of doing it where a bunch of dominoes are set up and the end result is that people vacate the middle of the city. Yeah. But I mean, um, I, that's, that's kind of what I, I want to talk to you about. Cause I really latched onto this idea, especially this idea of this propaganda video mm-hmm. that, that we see here is it's a man and a woman talking about how they wish they'd struck out on their own and discussed self-sufficiency. And a lot of this book, since the beginning of this book, we've been talking about themes around the idea of community, the idea of cooperation. We had the therapy team coming together um, to help each other, to lean on each other. Uh, the team ups between the heroes. It's really been Victoria's modus operandi to bring the heroes together and to work together in a way that they never have before. And now here we have Dinah telling us that in the future, the best outcome she saw is is the one in which people realized that individualism was better, self-sufficiency was better, they're better off alone. Um, and so they separate and go their own way, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with all that. And so it's, it's really, it's really the, the, the first time that it really connected with me that this, this idea, this idea of community cooperation, of people being together is kind of like why there's a problem in the first place in this arc of the story. Yeah. There's too many capes in the same place. And the the ice has been picked at too many times that it's just, just going to get fucked up. And I mean, this is really interesting because I don't think the message of the book is, is actually going to shift to this to line up with that propaganda video and say, actually, uh, self-sufficiency and individualism, uh, you don't need other people. I don't think that's the way where the book is going. But I do think it's really interesting because on a, on a high, large level, we're seeing one of the core themes of the story being challenged and brought forth in conflict, right? This idea of community cooperation. These are the keys to survival after a terrible event, after a terrible traumatic event. And now we're having the the plot of the book attack that, attack that central idea and say, well, is it? Well, is it? Um, and I, I really, I'm really, really excited to watch where this goes. Yeah, me too. I mean, we had Chicken Little recapitulate the theme of the previous book of getting everyone working together when we have Victoria repeatedly trying to set up um, organizations and, and modes of communication, modes of cooperation and so, yeah, to say that this is sort of the antithesis that's being introduced, like Dinah's whole plan, you know, in, in a in a word is separation. It's, yeah. it's the opposite of community. It's yeah. cut we're, ties. We're gonna, would you yeah, say? It, oh, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> OK, three points to Scott. Um, but, but yeah, like the idea that like we basically Dinah is saying we can't solve our problems. We can't solve we can't solve our problems together. 
the only solution is to spread out and and just not be around each other mm-hmm. um and that's i mean that's fantastic on the level of like themes clashing right i, I mm-hmm. love it yeah i'm so excited to see where this is going I, I love it i love it so much um the other thing i want to talk to you about uh, this section is what do you think about what Dinah's saying about contessa right um because what she's basically saying is here, is here, I was doing all this stuff and I was doing it for the good of everything. And Contessa intentionally fucked me up. She intentionally is manipulating everything behind the scenes. She's pushing everything to where she wants it. Even the moments where you thought she was being better and you thought she was starting to, to maybe shift in, in her belief system. That's all manipulation anyway. Um, she intentionally set out to make it so number dad died. Um, and did did Dinah's speech there change your opinion of Contessa at all? Well, it probably did until we got down to Sveta's speech later, yeah. honestly, yeah. Um, because I, I think Sveta is much more accurate. And and when you sit back and you think about the way these powers work, I think like if Contessa wants some outcome and that outcome happens to not be in the probabilistic slice of futures that Dinah wants, then Dinah is going to perceive what happens as this terrible disruptive series of events that messes her up when actually Contessa was just getting the future that she wanted it wasn't it had nothing to do with what Dinah was doing I think Contessa or uh, Sveta decides it as like just a side effect like that that messing up her plan was just a side effect of my plan working correctly And and I do agree that what we know of the text basically corroborates that because what Contessa did in having the explosion go off was distract teacher we saw that. I mean, we saw a teacher in that moment say, oh, well, shit, now my stuff's ruined. She she messed me up um, and that distracts him. And that's one of the reasons things end the way they are. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think I think what we have here is two precogs working towards their their ideal future and they don't line up with each other and they're not like yeah. exchanging notes. So they're just going to like ping off each other in annoying ways. Yeah. One thing that just occurred to me is like Contessa was. Okay, well, assuming that assuming that appearances can be taken at face value, which is a, a big assumption, <laughs> she, she was she was working like fast, right? She she she's yeah. mo- moment to moment asking her power questions and then acting on the results. She's not she's not in the mode of like setting up long elaborate chains of of of, uh, of paths to victory that culminate in yeah. in an awesome victory. So so the point is, it's possible that she literally didn't even know that that order would result in number man dying um she she just knew she just knew that her power told her to tell harbinger to go deliver that message and that that would get the outcome she wanted right yeah that's possible i mean i'm i will never call myself an expert a path to victory so i can't like say definitively yes you are correct in that but i think that makes sense to me i mean i think i think sveta argues that same point right and Sveta is the most charitable to contessa she's ever been in this chapter i mean she's still pretty nasty to her but i think she gives her the benefit of the doubt in some of the stuff that like she was working fast. Um, stuff is cause like she you're absolutely right that she's like Dinah is absolutely convinced at of the maliciousness of Contessa here where Sveta is kind of like, I don't think she was meaning to be malicious about it. I think that's just kind of what happens when she does her thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's 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 funny because, yeah, I mean, Sveta obviously doesn't like her, but um, yeah, she's she's not being completely unfair. Yeah. Which is shocking. Good, good yeah. for you, Sveta. Yeah. Uh, the the one thing that I think is absolutely true here is that Dinah is painting herself as this perfect angel, right? I made no mistakes. I was careful. 
everything would have worked out perfectly if not for stupid Contessa getting in the way. And whenever someone starts behaving like that and, and dealing in absolutes like that, like I made no mistakes, like my my BS meter like starts going up. Mm-hmm. And I just like I, I think I, I legitimately believe Dinah is trying her best here. But I really liked Miss Militia's response to her. This 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 moment of I run the risk of sounding overly aggressive by bringing this up. But someone could charge you with playing with fire with a vendor, very incendiary group and put yourself in a position where this sort of chain events or disaster on the scale was possible. And I think that's true. Kind of right. I mean, she was like playing with these very volatile group of people and trying to manipulate it and control it. And and I I fully agree. She probably had the best intentions in heart in mind, but now it's bad. <laughs> yeah. And isn't she like 14 or 16 or sure, yeah. ma- ma- maybe younger than 16? Um, so it's entirely possible that she was just overconfident. And as, as incredible yeah. as her power is, um, I mean, we kind of have this th- thing thing within the story of like characters like her and like Tattletail who their power is incredible and they're not quite as smart as their power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you could even argue that's why their power chose them is that it can kind of get them to do what it wants. Right. I mean, shit, um, we've seen that same thing with Contessa, right? And her mm-hmm. is like arguably the, the most power power. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, like to, to just to just stand here and, and proudly declare I made no mistakes. None of this mm-hmm. is on me. Um, I I immediately go, come on, Dinah. Like, yeah, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just so we are clear on the stakes, though, Dinah relays the numbers to us and they're super bad. Bet. <laughs> 80.365, chance of mass death that extends across reality. That remaining 19%, 15% of it is worse, where we don't even get to die. The other 4% isn't pretty either. So that's a really great way of just letting us know, oh boy, oh boy. Yep, yep. Now, now, and maybe, maybe you don't, maybe this isn't made in, entirely explicit within the chapter, but that that's the numbers now, right? Yes. That's not, so before that, the numbers before Contessa did her thing, the numbers were better and, and Dinah felt like she had things going in a good direction. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I, okay. I don't Just, know. Yeah. I mean, I wonder like I wonder how bad it like we don't get to see the details of how bad it would have been. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think that makes sense. So basically, yeah, they're watching this video that's like a bit delayed and Kenzie loses patience and watches the whole video by splitting it into eight sections and then watching each of them simultaneously on eight screens inside her eyeballs, possibly overheating her brain. Um, <laughs> and and as she, and then she kind of she finishes the video before everyone else, and then she picks out the part where Dinah demands that they send someone to deal with Deathchester, which is uh, the villain group robbing a caravan of evacuees. I, I immediately recognized that name. Did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. see, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's a very so, um, it's a very memorable name. It is. It is. So she reasons that Dinah's projections must include breakthrough watching this and reacting in a predictable way, which, of course, is the definition of a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> it certainly is, isn't it? Um, I, like the, the brain heating, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's so much going on in this chapter that that I'm, I don't even have like a spare bandwidth for worrying about Kenzie. But but yes. <laughs> Um, she's apparently just been doing all kinds of things to her eyes lately. Yeah. She's got so like, they ask her how much tech she's got shoved up in there and she's like a lot, but not too much. And like, I like Theo here. His role here is like the outsider 
who is not used to Kenzie. So like we always get like I think Wild Blue does this a lot is he brings in an outside person when Kenzie's like going particularly tinker nutness and like has them comment on it. So to remind us like of how not normal this is and crazy this is, because like you kind of like all our characters and us as well kind of get into just like we're used to this, right? This is Kenzie. This is what Kenzie does. This is Kenzie. And we need to be reminded. No, wait, this is so scary. And yeah. and Theo is like, I am so worried about all this. I And then like Kenzie just like casually like pulls up the camera footage feed of of where Death Chester is. And he's just like, what? I, yeah. What? And it's like it's he's he serves a perfect role here. I love it. Um, yeah. I think one of the things he was worried about was just the fact that she's clearly just casually hacked into their closed circuit <laughs> TV system yep. in order to, to do this in the first place. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's valuable, right? Because uh golem presumably spends a lot of time around tinkers so having Mm -hmm. him act uncomfortable around kenzie kind of underlines like oh this is this is a bit much even for a tinker yep 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 so matt we're bringing damsel back into the story yeah Uh, and i expected this to happen i didn't i didn't think it was gonna happen this quick though Uh, Mm um but it works really well i really like where this is going and i can't wait to really dive into damsel's state of mind in these chapters yeah, I feel like it happening quickly is sort of motivated by, at least partially by the fact that Kenzie and, and Victoria, for that matter, want to see her. Yeah, yeah. And Victoria doesn't think about it in those terms, but I feel like I know her well enough to know that that's part of the motivation for doing this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she would never say it out loud. I mean, Kenzie, it's it's textual because she's like yeah. bubbling and, and hopping up and down in excitement um, and trading in every favor she has. And it's oh, it makes me so sad. But yeah, I think I think Victoria is right there, too. She wants to see her as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Victoria is chronically bad at pushing back against Kenzie, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I like this bit where Kenzie, or, uh, sorry, Vic, Victoria thinks she's being like her mom by chiding Kenzie for not using code names. Uh, and then she promptly apologizes for it just thought that was an interesting moment yeah it's like i think it's a great we're starting to really like focus on the level of agitation victoria has whenever she starts admitting that she's acting like her mom you know she's in a bad place but i think it's funny that she calls out kenzie and like the line before she called her kenzie and i know lookout guards her secret identity like must much less than tristan does like i think out of any everyone on this team capricorn is probably the most secret with their secret identity um but i think i just think that's funny um yeah yeah uh, overall the bit serves to just show how kind of out of sorts she is yeah which which she admits to like that's that's the funny thing is they're all like yeah we're doing we're at a solid five out of ten basically on average across the team but they're still gonna do this why are we gonna do this uh something something numbers uh (laughs) basically just because ashley's there or some vestige of ashley yeah i mean i think the book does a really good job of painting all the reasons why doing this is a super bad idea but then it throws the the numbers get better if they go idea in front of them and as soon as it does that it's like okay well they're not gonna not go they can't turn away from that they're they're heroes they're incapable of turning away from that despite how bad this is gonna be yeah yeah um so remember recently a recent episode when we talked about how we didn't think breakthrough was done losing people so what's Mm -hmm. funny is i kind of backed off on that since we said that i was like okay you know they lost damsel or so they they lost uh, swan song I figure putting Byron out of commission for a long time might actually count as the second semi-death that yeah. Contessa said would coming, what was coming. But then Victoria 
gets to musing that, hey, you know, there's no reason to assume that we're out of danger now just because teacher ran away. And so we're like, ah, oh, fuck, she's right. <laughs> and, but then Tristan makes a good counterpoint. And he's like, you know, we could we could die at any time. Like, th- I mean, th- that's all he says. But like, yeah, it's true. Like they could they could have all died the moment they left the right the, the teacher base. Right. Like it doesn't. Um, right. And th- I mean, like, the, I think Tristan's absolutely right here. And, and what what the brilliance of what this has done here is after after Contessa gave the odds or not gave the odds, told what was going to happen and executed that plan. We knew we knew for for absolute certainty that at least two, but possibly three of these members were either going to be die, be killed or or removed. Right. We knew this. That's over now. Maybe. Maybe. And now and now we're back to uncertainty, though, because we don't by, by leaving it uncertain whether she meant two or three. We're back to the normal amount of uncertainty any cape has whenever they're going out to do anything. Any of these people could die at any time. Like someone else could die not related to what happened via Contessa stuff. Right. Like like Sveta could just die completely unrelated to anything Contessa saw at this point. Right. Because like, right. she was she doesn't like control every cause and effect chain ever she's only looking for one thing so like we're, we we basically position ourselves back to a place where anything could happen we don't know so so what what contessa said should no longer be a consideration for whether we go fight or not because we're playing with the same odds we always play with when we are go fight as a cape we could die uh-huh. yeah yeah my my other thought was that we could was that they could be like hey let's just assume that Contessa's prophecy is not over yet. And then we're all immortal from now on. <laughs> well, there you go. That's yeah. a, that's a, certainly a read. Yeah. Yeah. Don't want to test it too hard though. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like we said, turns out breakthroughs involvement improves the numbers. Um, assuming I'm interpreting Dinah's somewhat ambiguous wording correctly. Did, did you feel that, did you feel that the way Dinah phrased it was, open to interpretation obviously the team interprets it one way but i can imagine going back to that later and being like because she she just says it changes the numbers she did i don't think she said it makes the numbers better i, yeah, I don't but think I feel, I feel like they clarified they said do you mean like positively and she said yes okay. i feel like that happened i i didn't I, have any any doubt yeah here. i don't have it in front of me unfortunately but i feel like the back and forth there there was a little bit of a suspicious wording that i'm going to go back and check later but um we'll just we'll just put a pin in that to be removed in several weeks i'll remember (laughs) don't worry okay will you will you remember of course um she says it clear i I just pulled it up she says it clarifies the numbers and miss melissa says i don't know if that means it improves them and she says it does just working on clear terminology and understanding of my power yes okay so Okay. That seems rather unambiguous to me. Yeah, it's it's almost it's almost the opposite of what I said. <laughs> All right. Well, there we go. Enough. We can toss that pin out. It's gone. Yeah, good. Bye. All right. I'm taking the pin out. It's gone. Okay. We don't leave pins and things on this podcast. <laughs> All right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I do think it's just fascinating that like this is this is just their classic motivating factor. We've seen this throughout the book, right? Is like they're in bad shape. They probably shouldn't go but they're given a reason for why it's a good idea and they latch onto that reason. And that's exactly what they're doing here. Yeah, yeah that, that's true. They do do that, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> like, like they're like, you know, we really, really shouldn't go see goddess or have anything to do with goddess. But... Terrible idea, but reason. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yep. Um. So, uh, sorry, Golem briefs them all on the rules for powers use. No use of powers that you have to turn on. Only powers that are either always on or that you can turn on before you pass through the portal. Um, so, this again, like we mentioned, this is a great way to add tension. Yeah, so basically Tristan can't use his power at all besides his always on strength. Rain can only use his blades and only if he like pulls them out beforehand, which means I guess he can't like throw them, right? He can just hold them and, and swipe at things. I think that's right. Uh, Victoria can't use her aura or the wretch, uh, only flight and only because she turns it on before she gets there. She could have technically used the wretch if she had turned it on, but that probably would have been a bad idea for everyone around her. Um so yeah, we've limited a lot of our characters. I don't know about you, though. The second we establish rules in this book, my immediate thought is, oh, they're going to break the <laughs> shit out of these. Um, and, yeah. And they did. Yeah, I assumed they would simply because you're going to be fighting these villains, one of whom is Damsel, who's incredibly dangerous. You're going to have to pull out some of those stops in order to, to counter her. Yeah, and I, I kind of think the book wants you to think that way. I feel like everything we've done here, just like the idea... Even even Victoria is, is conscious of the idea of how bad this is going to be, how bad of a decision it might be to go meet these people in battle. Um, but they're doing it anyway because because they have to. The numbers, they have to. Um, yeah. Like right. I, we really get like I think Kenzie is bouncing up and down with excitement and we just see like Victoria go like, fuck, shit, like shit, shit, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as they're leaving, Golem kind of slows him down and asks some contested questions. And Sveta says a lot of the stuff we've been thinking, like we talked about a minute ago, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Sveta does think that Contessa let herself be caught by teacher, which is something that uh, I don't remember if the text has explicitly laid out that as a, as a theory, but the, the fans, including us have definitely talked about that. Sure. Yeah. Um, she thinks everything uh, uh, Sveta thinks like everything in the last arc was part of a plan. Um, even, even the, you know, even the offer of the various, um, the various paths and, and yeah, like we said, she thinks Contessa is particularly dangerous because her power just creates all this collateral damage. Um, and, um, that's her explanation for what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Like we said, the most charitable she's been not, not entirely. Um, yeah. I mean, I really like the, I really like a portion of this read of Contessa, right? I think, I think the read of a lot of the stuff is just an, a side effect lines up with what our understanding of Contessa was after the end of arc 15, like a person who is genuinely trying to change and trying to be, be a different type of person and have a different type of belief system. Um, but, she has this power and and the, the net result of this power is just bad things sometimes happen that we didn't like plan for. Like we like that's just like shard bullshit. Right. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I really like I really like this this read of her. Um, I'm not quite convinced with her whole she meant to be captured. Um, everything that she's been doing has been part of some long plan thing. I'm not quite as sold on that part of it, but I do think the the side effect stuff is is definitely there right right i mean isn't it the case that even her interlude included flashbacks to them making the first of the the k-53s or or at least having some of the first like horrible disasters involving um the vials and that was always something that she regretted and and so she's known she's known that her power had this element of horrible the you know side effects yeah on, on the path to getting the thing that you want um 
so yeah, I don't know. I was just kind of connecting those things there in my head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's just let's put a let's put yeah. a pin in this. <laughs> right. So Golan confirms that teacher was distracted by what Contessa said in motion, and that Victoria's presence in particular made made him decide to shut down. Um, and Victoria reacting to this thinks to herself, in the midst of that mood, the wretch hadn't moved how I'd wanted it to. I'd moved like it wanted. Uh, so so that's my head exploding so for those of you listening on audio yes i it, i saw it happen three times <laughs> so like the worst part of this is that victoria doesn't even think about this any further right oh my god it's like so it's it, it's been five days since that event happened we've been in her head this is the end of the third chapter we've been in her head for three chapters and scholarly analytical cape nerd victoria isn't thinking about what this means at all i mean this is literally her shard took control of her and it's just oh yeah yeah that did that did happen um like what yeah. what <laughs> yeah right and 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 nor does she think about the implications of right. it. like because that, that's immediately relevant to this situation is like oh yeah he he was freaked out because he's he saw and and understood somehow that what was happening was that the door was cracked open and, mm-hmm. and and the implications of that are what? What are the implications of that? Seems important to understand. That's like the whole <laughs> thing. That's the whole mystery. But and, and so we're not just to be clear, we're not saying like Wildo forgot. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're saying that Victoria has like put a big old Amy style uh, no go zone around thinking about this. Would you say right? she put a pin in it? She put a pin in it and then she left the pin there. <laughs> And didn't come back for it. Yeah. She doesn't want to think about this. And it it, it upsets her. Especially moving into the next chapter where it happens again. Uh And uh, again, she like, we'll get there. But she casually mentions, well, the door's open now. It's not going to shut quite right anymore. But that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, right. And and when does that like when do sorry, I'm sorry, Victoria, excuse me, Victoria. Is this a thing that happens that like your your connection with your passenger reverses and the passenger starts controlling you? Is this a thing you've heard about before? If so, doesn't it seem like wouldn't that be on the spectrum of really bad outcomes? And shouldn't you be worried about it? And if not, if you've never heard about this before, isn't that even worse? Yeah. Like my yeah. first thought was like, oh, this is somehow what Amy did to her. This is this is what the touch did. Sure. Amy Amy fucks with shard human connections. Amy did this and it just hasn't it hasn't manifested until now. And now it's starting to manifest. And maybe that's why Victoria doesn't want to think about it. Is she on some level on some level knows that that's what this is. I don't know. Mm, yeah, I don't know. It could just be I mean, it could just be like a combination of the teacher fucking with the shard world and the weirdness of the connections and the, the ice breaking and a particularly um, perfect aligned mood for her shard to be like, all right. Take it over. This is exactly what I wanted. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think we're going to get more information about this later. But it is surprising that the character we would think would be most interested in getting more information about this is just not really focusing on it, Um, especially considering the idea of losing control of yourself, both mentally and physically, is like a pressure point for Victoria. Like this is something she's deeply uncomfortable with and and in the next chapter, she's just like, let's do it. Let's go. Come on. Let's yeah, do it. Right. The next chapter is even more interesting in that way because, yeah, yeah she, like you said, she just kind of is like, all right, let's, yeah, fine, fine. 
I'm not even going to think about what, well, like the implications of having this door swinging open and banging in the metaphorical shard wind as I'm flying around the danger zone. Yeah, it's it's it's, God, it's terrifying. I've I've never been more worried about uh, our, and we haven't even talked about the damn chapter yet. I'm yeah. so I'm so worried about Victoria. I know. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, the team moves through the portal near to the Death Chester attack. Victoria flies in to scout, giving us a good look at the clowns that we're going to be fighting next chapter, including Damsel, who sees her coming and shows a flicker of swan song in her expression. Yeah, we're going to talk about that a whole lot more in the next chapter. But uh, I want to talk about the end line of this chapter, which I just I think is perfect for Victoria's state of mind. She just finishes the chapter with what a fucking mess this all was. It's just like it's just like an exasperated. She's sick. She's tired. She doesn't want she knows this is going to be emotionally devastating to her. She knows it's going to be emotionally devastating to Kenzie. Like she she doesn't like almost there. I think there's part of her that's like, I don't want to be here. I was I want to go to bed. Yeah. But she's here again. And it's going to be fucking terrible. <laughs> I mean, when I'm sick, sometimes I've been known to sleep on the couch because I don't want to go up a set, uh, up a flight of stairs. Hell yeah. And Victoria here is sick and going into uh, life or death combat. So, yeah, <laughs> got a lot of willpower. Yep. That's what I'm saying. Hooray. All right. Moving into 16.4. Victoria continues on in her absolutely shit mood, <laughs> describing the battlefield, including Death Chester and the Huntsman who are already attacking uh, who, who are already fighting, basically. Mm-hmm. We get a sense of complicated pre-existing relationships between these groups. The Huntsmen have been tangling with Trophy Wife and Backwoods um, over their pilfering of the parklands for some time, apparently. Yeah, so this is an emotionally devastating chapter, right? I mean, there's a lot of really rough, like, emotional shit that happens to a lot of our characters here. But the start here, I kind of loved because, like, the, the opening line of the chapter is, this is a shitty battlefield. Like this is the shittiest. She's just like, just to carry over from the other chapter. She's just like, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really like that. I really like that. And, and I, I like, you're right that these other groups have history with each other. Um, Huntsman has been fighting some of these just death Chester members for a long time. And I think Victoria describes them as, as nemesis right. Yeah. Uh, is it nemeses? Nemeses. Yeah. Nemeses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think that's probably, an accurate description of what Nailbiter and Sidepiece and Hookline are to Victoria and Breakthrough, right? Maybe uh-huh. not. Maybe Victoria doesn't see them as her nemesis, but maybe they see Breakthrough as their nemesis because, like, they're basically the Bebop and Rocksteady of Ward, <laughs> right? Like, they've been the ones that, like, they kept, they fought them several times and they kind of always beat them, but they never go away. Like, it- I-, I like that a lot. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's perfect. I mean, it, it, Victoria thinks of it as being a cops and robbers thing, right? So, yeah. so referencing Bebop and Rocksteady or, or just kind of, you know, standard, standard comic tropes villains is a, is a good, is a good pull, I think. It's yeah. appropriate. Yeah. And they're doing, I mean, the, 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 the stuff they're doing is just petty thievery, right? They're just, yeah. they're just breaking into people's cars and stealing all their shit that they packed as they go to evacuate. Like it's so petty and, terrible in 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 a very traditional hero villain cop robber type of thing yeah right i mean you can almost imagine them just like rolling their their eyes like come on this is the time you're gonna choose right to do this like like at least at least uh uh love lost had like 
uh, a certain flair to her horrible violence and attacks. <laughs> there you go, folks. Matt Freeman, at least uh, the person who chopped up people uh-huh. and left them for dead uh, yeah. had some some style. At least you can take her seriously. Am I right, <laughs> folks? Um, so, yeah, what's the significance of Vicky not even being in costume for this fight? I mean, I, I like it on a lot of things. I like it that she feels more exposed in in this regard because she's very emotionally vulnerable right now and so like she's not in costume she's not in her normal gear so she feels a little more exposed i like it as a hint of maybe a less than heroic future that victoria might have um as we've been talking throughout this arc that she we think she's going down a path both um both with her wanting to explore the shard realm and now also with which ties into that her you know just wanting to use just wanting to hand over the driver's seat to waste just seemingly regularly. Um, and it could just be, you know, a good old fashioned identity crisis where who is she right now? Who am I? Victoria wonders to herself. Am I this person? I don't know. And I think that could be a great reflection of, you know, the questions that she's acting, asking herself. So I like any of those things. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do too. I, I guess I was just thinking like it's, it's vulnerability basically. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, this is, She's not ready for this. She's not really up for this. She's not really up for being in a in a battle, but she's going to she's going to do it anyway. And yeah. um it's kind of like showing up for work in your in your casual clothes. It's like, "Oh, this doesn't feel right. This isn't right," you know. Uh, I wish. You know, like my my entire motivation for going doof media is getting to a point where I don't have to dress up to go to work anymore. Yeah. I know what you mean, man. So you folks can make that happen. patreon.com/doofmedia. <laughs> yeah, we should put that as a as a um as a tier, you know, no longer dressing up for work tier. Um, slacks, right. fuck slacks. Yeah, the fuck slacks tier. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, so yeah, so we um, we get just a ton of commentary on each of these capes here. Yeah. Um, and we we can't really go into all of it. I mean, the chapter does it just great anyway. Uh, but one that we'll focus on is mock show who is described as having the proportions of a gorilla, which I only bring up because it lends credence to the claim that he makes later on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I thought Trophy Wife and Backwoods are both some great capes, but yeah, clearly the the, the jester-like mock show is uh, the, the star of this particular chapter. And by star, I mean like in that new version of A Star is Born when Lady Gaga wins the Grammy and Bradley Cooper follows her on stage but ends up pissing himself because he's so drunk and wasted and it, it's super terrible and embarrassing and you just feel bad for everyone in the situation, including him. It's it's basically it's basically just like that. I follow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Mo- mockument. I thought mock show felt wrong. That's your fault. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh my God. Mockument. I did it wrong. Well, that was the only time I made that. No, I'd made it again. What is wrong with me? <laughs> this Mockument. is like, uh, who is the, the one girl you got? Presley? Was it Presley's name? You just got totally wrong. Preston or something like that. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Mockument. There you go. Mock show is another cape in the story though, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so it's not that bad of a mistake. Anyway. No, you're fine. Um, uh, so Mockument. <laughs> uses his power and creates something um a caricature of a monstrous caricature features distorted with mouths yawning open in horror lips lipstick red or whole faces smushed into distorted kissy faces i saw a tattoo of a heart with an arrow through it the space within the with the word in it sorry the space within with a word in it amy 
and then a bit a bit later we see what the creature is saying those are the happiest days of my life because she forced me to be happy but they were still the happiest i might go back if i could things were simpler then i had everything i wanted because she made herself the only thing i wanted so this was a slap in the fucking face fuck while reading yeah i mean you just read it out to me again and it just like just emotionally beat the shit out of me yeah. again and i yeah. read it like four times i know i think I, like when i got to that part i was like like she describes the creature and like you you know immediately what it is like yeah. before before we're even more than a couple sentences in you're just like oh yeah no and then <laughs> yeah. it's like and then it just gets worse from there and and she's just i mean frankly she's taking it well much better than she would have at the start of this story L- but let's give her like all the credit we can yeah she deals I mean, at, she, at the beginning, at least when it's as it's happening for the first time, she deals with the super well. Yeah, she's yeah. like very on mission. She's focusing on what she needs to do. She's trying to talk to damsel over the terrible thing, screaming her worst moments in her life back at her and her worst fears back at her. Um, she's doing a pretty good job. Now, yeah. later she dives into some uh, some not great stuff, but. Yeah, yeah, to start, I mean, and, and I can't imagine a worse time for this to be happening than right now, right? She's sick. She's in a terrible mood. Her 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 friend, Kenzie, is is not doing well. Um, she's about to she's she's interacting and fighting with the twin of her dead friend that she's in the middle of mourning. This is the worst time for this to happen. And here comes this thing that takes everything she feels about herself and manifests it literally in front of her to have it screaming back at her. It's awful. It's so awful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mockument's power is one that um, cannot be used ethically. Apparently, no. no. Uh, let's let's please note that the column that this this monstrous caricature comes out of uh, quote broke like an egg. Matt. Yep. Those eggs. Egg Watch 2019. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's all it's all building towards it, something, folks. It's all the the final boss of Ward is going to be an egg. I mean, we're or look, or the chicken. I mean, we're making all these metaphors about ice that's too thin, it's going to crack, or or about, you know, a, a window you don't want to knock on. What else cracks, everybody? Huh? Huh? Yeah, it's been there the whole time, and I was the only one who saw it. Anyway. <laughs> what? I, so, I feel so bad laughing about this section because it's legitimately awful, but that was great. Um, what I love about this in particular, though, in, in the writing of it, is how this horror is mixed with truth, right? Um, the first thing it says to her as as it, it is born is, I have a runny nose and a sore throat, right? That's uh-huh. the first thing it says. And then it says, I'm so done with this shit. A bit later, it says, you win, we lose, like we always do. These are things that we know Victoria is thinking or feeling, right? Yeah. These, are, these are accurate depictions of Victoria's uh, health state right now, uh, her mental state right now and how and her frustrations with how things are going. So what this does is establishes a baseline for this caricature as having accurate a, as accurate. Exactly. And so when it starts going into this Amy stuff that hurts even more, it's, it's like it's turning that that knife and, and slipping it in deeper and it's it's worse and worse and worse and it's because of this and i think we've pointed this out multiple times throughout the story that wildwood does a very very good job of this in the story so far like the way of establishing 
um, a, a certain baseline of truth and then using that to make things even worse and to emotionally just nail you with it. Um, and that's why I think this works as well as it does. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, the, the, and the things that, you know, kind of the more horribly unsettling things that that the, the caricature slips in, um, th- those are obviously the ones that are are getting under Victoria's skin, actually. Yeah, yeah. And to the point where I this is my favorite quote in the whole chapter it was his power, right? He created copies of people that reflected what they hated most about themselves, threw in a few mistruths, like the I'd go back if they fuck with the target's head enough, right? And, like, this is her internal monologue. Right. <laughs> Who's she asking, right? She's, yeah, exactly. Like, the, 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 the asking the question in this moment is so effective. It is yeah. devastating because she's trying to convince herself that that is the truth. Yeah. She's, that she's, tr- yeah. she's that, desperately convincing herself that I don't actually think that, right. Yeah. I don't actually believe the, I'd go back. I don't actually believe these things that this thing is saying, right? Please, please brain convince me of this, please. Yeah. And it, it, it's, but it's, if it is calculated, it's calculated perfectly because it's something that she's not certain right. about. Right. Yeah. And my, honestly, my model of human psychology these days is that we, contain multitudes we have a lot of different parts yeah that are that are at war with each other many of which we violently disapprove of and and suppress to a level where they never really get to say their their piece in yeah. kind of the conscious you know the conscious uh, workspace and so yeah. i think it's entirely possible that she does have something in her that still would go back you know maybe well, it's just the tiniest tiniest piece of herself but But it is there and part of her knows it's there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what what I I was talking about this on a podcast yesterday was that there is a little there's a little piece of your brain, right? There's a little bit in the back of your head that has the most uncharitable read of yourself as possible. Uh Right. And it's it's always there. And you're usually pretty good at ignoring it. But when someone states those things external of your brain, when says them out loud, then that part of your brain goes, oh, f- fuck, I was right. Look, there, there's the proof. I was right. And it just goes, yep, yep, there, yep. S- s- there we go. Prophecy yep. fulfilled. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And it just like spirals you. And dear God, like this is, ugh, it's awful. It's awful. Yeah. Th- then that part goes, I was right about everything else too. And exactly. Then, uh, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Ugh. It's awful. So I, um, I love the writing. I love it. I, oh, like, oh, yeah. I, I love I love it. Oh, it's so it's, it's so shocking. Like the, yeah. the way the way it's written where you have no idea what Mockument's power is at all. You're not even set up for this to be like a big thing. It's not foreboding like nursery or something no, where you're yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I'm worried about this guy. It's like just bam, egg cracks open. Fucks Here we with go. your head. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Yep. Um so yeah, the fandom is really turned on side piece after this. <laughs> Yeah, that's because, God, she's, like, being the worst. She's so bad here, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, I think this is completely in line with how she's always been, right? She's always had this particular brand of villain that is going to to laugh or find hilarious or or be indifferent to some of the worst, most painful parts of people, right? Like, this has always been who she is, but... 
this is turned specifically towards a character that we love and the worst possible thing that the character can be going through. So it comes off here as just way worse than any of those other much funnier moments. Um, side piece, basically the South Park of supervillains, right? She's an equal opportunity asshole. Actually, that's too mean to side piece. At least she admits that she's just being a trolley asshole. Boom. Got you, Trey Parker. Suck it. Enjoy your millions of dollars. Uh, you really hurt his feelings. I know. Yeah. I know. I got him. Yeah. Um, so despite this absolutely devastating sight that she's going through, Victoria, as we said, continues to be professional and gracious, even telling Damsel that she's won. She'll get territory out of this. There'll be deals. Just just back off now. Get out of the danger zone. And 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 this will count as a win for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I I just like. It's like like we said, it's so it's so impressive to me that she's able to still manage this negotiation. Right. Like I we have to give her the most props it is possible to give a person because the fact that she's even functional is incredible. Is it incredible? Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, again, like she she hasn't broken down in tears or in rage or or or, or flown away. Um, She's just going and, and she's you know she didn't even go into herself she didn't have like a long victoria zone out session mm-hmm. she she's 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 doing great it's 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 amazing yeah it's real, real growth i think i mean it really sucks she has to go through this but it's showing her her metal here <laughs> yeah so yeah. then she flies over she touches base with the huntsman she gets some more commentary on on these villains what their deal is um trophy wife's power is described it's just another just <sighs> horrifying power yep uh, Backwoods though gets massive points for name cleverness. Oh, because he has he's got wood on his back. I I get it. I get yeah. it. Yeah, that's it's clever. It's beautiful. Good job, Backwoods. There's a lot of really there's a lot of great like corny villain names in Ward. Like mm-hmm. I want to want to collect all the corniest ones. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I kind of want to focus on Mockument specifically for a second. Oh, good. Let's do it. Because. <laughs> just seems to me to intuitively make sense that powers like this one would pose the biggest problem to the whole punching holes in reality thing. Yeah. Because like, so we're thinking about the shards. The shards think of themselves as living or dead on the basis of connections. If they're disconnected, they're dead. Connection is extremely important to them. And here Victoria says of, of Mockument's power probably uses some weak connection to the power or replicates what it can track nearby. So there is an or in that sentence, but there's yeah. also the word connection in that sentence. So if the shards are desperate for connection, that's one of the things that's driving them. That's one of the major variables that governs their existence. Then if that's the case, then powers like monuments and like ingenues and teachers and scapegoats and Valkyries and idolins basically trump powers or, or powers that reach out to connect with other shards are going to be the ones that are the, that are the worst, right? Like you, like, the reason I'm bringing this up is like at first I was like, oh, damsel's power is probably really bad. And and then and then I was thinking like, well, they said that making portals isn't that bad. And a portal seems like the worst possible thing you can make if you're worried about accidentally punching a hole in reality. So I'm <laughs> like, well, maybe that's not actually the problem. It's not literally messing with dimensions. It's messing with shard connections. Yeah. I don't know. No, I, I, I did not think of this at all. My brain did not go there, but... I really like this. I mean, I, I like like I think you're absolutely right that kind of based on what we understand on how Mockument's power works, it has to be 
like at least communicating on some level with Victoria Shard because that's how it gets the powers, right? Right. Like it has to something to in that regard. So yeah, I mean, I think I think you're I think there's something there. I think you're on the right track there. I think there's something to this general idea that um the the shards connecting and the and the the attempts to I mean that's what a broken trigger is right we learned that a broken trigger is like a desperate attempt to connect and it's just like error and yeah. shit happens so right. I think it, I think it would be fitting to the story that whatever causes this ice to finally crack fully and shatter is is the connections between shards yeah and also just one more piece of evidence makes sense that's why Valkyrie is staying away from the city is her hers is one of the big you know the worst culprits in terms of shards connecting to each other yeah plus i like the thing that might devastate the entire city is just these fucking bebop and rocksteady morons <laughs> just stealing purses and shit like right fucking idiots right or this or this girl who has this door that's swinging open in her mind and, yeah. and completely ignoring yeah that yeah yeah that too yeah, that right. too vicky yeah uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> so Victoria, um, sick of this shit, flies high up into the air, hopefully far enough that she's not exacerbating the thin ice situation. And then she activates her force field and her aura, and she falls. And as she falls, she holds onto the serenity and the flow. She plummets back down to the ground, and she just fucking destroys her monument character with a handful of wretch-launched coins. And then she physically tears apart side pieces uh, caricature, um, and then she proceeds to try to crush Mockument with a car and nails Trophy Wife uh, with a car side mirror hitting her hard enough to probably kill a normal person. And this is all in the span of like a couple seconds, I imagine. So, yeah. Yeah. And this is look, I know their continued power usage threatens the fabric of reality, but w- the crime that they're doing is is thievery. <laughs> they're being petty thieves. <laughs> Right. Uh huh. Yeah. True. I mean, so I, let's just keep that in mind. Um, I, I, do you like? Do you think flying up like a half mile into the air is like nullifies the risk of using turn on powers? Because I was kind of like, really, you know, <laughs> at, at first I was like, at first I was like, no, this is a poor decision. And then I, and then when I reread it, I was thinking about the bit where she's talking about like feeling the fluctuations diminish as she gets higher and i was like okay is this maybe this is meant to convey that um uh as she gets higher she's not feeling the signs of of the disturbance but yeah. but i definitely didn't read it that way the first time though yeah i, I get that and, and i i think that adds to some of the most beautiful writing in the whole chapter right yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. where she says i could feel the distinction the ice cube slide of flight became smoother still it was a slide over skin, not scar tissue. No bumps, no tiny bits of turbulence that weren't actually wind. If I controlled fire and paid the most acute attention, would I see the difference in how the flames touched and tongued the air? If I mutated from head to toe, would it, it shape my form, the whirls of metaphorical fingerprints and the spacing of pores? Um, I, I, first of all, that's just beautiful writing. Yeah. Second of all, I just love what that says about Victoria, that when, like, she's coming up with examples of how it would feel differently to use power in non-danger zone area. And one of the first things she came up with is mutating from head to toe into a, a, a different shape, a different form, which I kind of get why that's in her head right now. And, and the, the language of scar tissue. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, which we know, we know she literally has like all over her hands right now. Right. right? Um, yeah. But also like she, she is scar tissue. Yeah. True. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I like that the next line is 
uh, go, I communicated. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the line communicated is mm-hmm. what stuck out to me because it's mm-hmm. not commanded. I almost expected it to be commanded. But actually, I think, and I think this is maybe the reason why she, why waste isn't triggering her, her phobia of being controlled is that she actually sees this as a joining rather than a surrendering, you know, Mm-hmm. I, there's definitely an element of surrender to it, but well, she says surrender was the name of the game here. Yes, but it's a willful <laughs> surrender. Sure. It's not a, she's like, I imagine if she tried to take control back and it didn't work, then she would completely freak out and not do this anymore. But I think it's viewed as like a, a meeting of the minds sure. rather than something. She's not, a, I don't know. It, it's, I mean, I agree. I, she call, she says it's we. I mean, she doesn't yeah. like, she doesn't actually throughout the course of this battle completely lose control of herself. That's why at the beginning of the show, I described it like a driver's ed car where it's just two people are in the driver's seat now. Um, they're both steering. True. They both yeah. have brake pedals. Um, yeah. Let's, let's get further into the fight though. Cause I sure. think there's a lot of stuff to talk about there. Yeah. But so like she fucking just misborns her way into killing <laughs> this thing. She just flicks coins at it until it dies uh, so she's got a, like a a rail gun now uh-huh yeah i mean that was that was a cool image of just like a shotgun blast of of coins just like shredding this thing and killing it instantly yeah um and, th- and now that's basically something she can do anytime right like assuming yep. this works the way we're, we're thinking it does yep i think i don't see any reason why she couldn't yep she's a blaster now yep <laughs> doesn't have to get in close anymore yeah cool um and then, of course, the, the, this, the line, trophy wife was tough, and we'd hit her right where her trophy rack was attached to her back. So that's the first time that she says we, mm-hmm. referring to the entity of herself and her shard, I suppose, right? Yeah. Um, pretty interesting. Yeah, and I mean, the, the really wonderful thing about this whole thing is that the force field and the wretch in this section become two distinct entities from each mm-hmm. other. And in the past... When Victoria was talking about bringing up her force field, she would say, I activated the wretch. That's how she would describe it. Those two things were linked to each other. The force field and the wretch were, in her mind, kind of the same thing. But here, they're different. She talks about her force field. Even in the part we just read, I activated my force field and aura, and then I let myself fall. But she doesn't just say force field. She still talks about the wretch here. So she's just treating them as different things. Um, the, the, the force field is a power. The wretch now is is waste is this entity is the shard that has just taken up residence in her in a way that has, has, has gone through the door in a way that it has only that one other time before. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, because I don't know if the nomenclature is entirely clear, but I do like the idea that, um, she, she kills the caricature or rather waste kills the caricature. Yeah. And Victoria thinks, fuck the wretch. Yeah. And it's like in, in that moment, it's like her and Waste have teamed up to express their just contempt and loathing of the wretch. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, she doesn't know the name Waste. That's sure. That's basically a fan and name, although the shard sort of does think of itself that way. Um, but I, 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 lo- I like this idea that she's yeah, like that she's she's come to a, a kind of peace with her with her mutated force field and, and it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool development actually. Yeah. I mean, it's cool, but it's, it's terrifying because like we said earlier, she just seems weirdly indifferent to the implications of it. Like she True. gives this line. I was pissed, hurt, sad, sick, and a little door had opened back in teacher's headquarters. 
once opened, it didn't close quite the right way again. This is a huge fucking deal. (laughs) This is a huge deal. Victoria, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I I agree. Uh, And she's, I I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm so much more alarmed that she's not making a big deal out of it than I am alarmed at the fact that it's happening in the first place, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think Um, it's a little of column A, a little of column B, right? Yeah, right, yeah. Um, so speaking of, uh, mockument, uh, as he's crushing her or sorry, as, as she's crushing him, she says, I hate your power. I hate it too. He replied. He smiled wide, but his eyes were cheerless. The person who had it died and I'm the mess they left behind. Oh my God. This fucking horrifying chapter. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, this is, I, this, it's horrifying in that now immediately there's this guy who you just fucking hated. And then five minutes later, like you just pity him. In yeah. the worst possible way. But I mean, so like, let's just state what what the implications of this are, right? That he used his power to create a copy of himself and then he died. And this is what's left now. Right. That seems to be what it's indicating. Yeah, I think that's. Um, that's that's the most obvious um, interpretation. Yeah, yeah that, that, I think that makes the most sense because then the copy would still have the power, basically. Right. Right. Um, but yeah. maybe the copy has a less. A, a, a not as good version of the power, which yeah. explains why the copies he creates have an even shittier version of True. their own powers. Right. Yeah. I that think may, that makes it, a lot of sense. That's, that's kind of the, the first pass makes the most sense explanation. Yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's the old multiplicity, a copy of a copy is never quite as crisp. <laughs> yeah. One of these days we'll have one episode where we don't reference multiplicity. That's possible. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the, the other implication of this is kind of like these, like, they're fully functioning, sentient, living creatures <laughs> that he's creating every time, right? <laughs> yeah. It's so horrible. It's horrible. It's, it's worse even than Nilbog creatures because at least Nilbog creatures are like their own thing. These are just like twisted mockeries of people who already exist whose only purpose is yeah. to suffer. And I'm not saying that like, oh, then Victoria is actually killing people. Like I think in the case of Victoria's copy, like she – she did a favor to that that thing, right? Because that's like that existence. Uh, I mean, I mean uh, like another thing is like did, what what normally happens to these things? Like, does he cancel the power and then they yeah, go away? Yeah, that's a good question. Or, or, or is he just like, well, I guess that's there now. I'm gonna leave. Dear God, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I don't and know. and what are, like we don't know the limits of this power because we know he creates two. We don't see any more. So how many can he create at one time? True. Yeah. God, this is it's horrifying. Yeah. 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 I, and this is just like one of the one of the many villains that are thrown into this chapter. I love it. Right. Again, um, again, uh, robbing purses and yeah. and just briefcases. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, lingerie and, and, and bass guitars. Yeah. So Kinsey rushes into the fight and easily knocks over Torso <laughs> uh, and then confronts Damsel. Um, for a moment, Damsel experiences conflict, but then she doubles down on the Damsel persona. They are ultimately able to persuade her to leave, though. Uh, or maybe uh, the villains decide to leave on their own. You know, it's not entirely clear. I guess that kind of ambiguity works in Damsel's favor, though. Sure. Uh, but anyway, Victoria describes the whole exchange as being years of cops and robbers distilled into moments. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about Damsel and the current state of Damsel right now. So basically, the idea here is that Ashley, in some form, exists inside Damsel in some way, right? And I think I think this kind of ties back to the the 
commonality in the dreams they've been having, right? That they're via via their shard, I guess. Is it is it one shard that's connected? Who knows? But via the shard, they are connected in some way and they are experiencing the same things. And there is a version of her that exists inside of Damsel. Yeah, that's awful. <laughs> yeah. Or, or or I mean, I see it as there's just been enough um, flushing of, of Damsel with with Swansong's memories that she wakes up every morning and feels a little bit more like Swansong than she yeah. did the day before. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah at, I mean, at what point do memories like do, do you have so many memories of a person that you start being kind of that person? Right. right? And, and they're not just memories of of like vision and sound and so forth they, they're the dream memories appear to be basically like reliving that thing yeah um so it's it's like she experienced i mean the, the moment i think of the most is her little monologue as she's dying and thinking and, and saying you know I, I i died screaming and ranting every time other than this yeah y- you can bet that's something that damsel got and that's going to be fucking with her head as, oh, as yeah. like this just this crowning achievement basically of like look i lived my life the way i wanted and yeah, I still died, but at least I died in a way that um, I, I can own um, sure. and, be, and be proud of. Sure. And yeah, and then you have Damsel who like is like actively pushing against that, actively yeah. pushing it. Like it, it, she, the idea, the, those feelings, the idea, the way that is being is is going through her body right now. She is resisting it. We see it mm-hmm. happen, and that's like, oh man, that's yeah. rough. I mean, do you think that like? It's it's this weird kind of conversation about autonomy there, right? Like, at one point, is she not damsel anymore? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, it reminds me of the Harbingers, where uh, four was basically like uh, so um, upset. I mean, he didn't seem emotionally upset, but on, on a level, he's upset at the idea that one of them is going to go out of sync with the others, and it's going to basically be contaminating their little pool of harbingerness. Mm-hmm. And like you can kind of imagine that would that would be disturbing for a sure, harbinger if sure. they if they started getting these these feelings of remorse that that they that weren't theirs they'd be like man I want to get rid of this right um, yeah like if, if you if you were forced into an existence in which you and every copy of you uh, meshes and intermingles your personality then the closer your personalities are together. Uh, the more comfortable you feel mm-hmm. and the the more apart those personalities are, the, the, the less like you quote unquote you feel. So the fact that like Ashley Swan song has changed a whole bunch from the way she used to be is gotta be like super, super fucked up for damsel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, but, but it also has this weird kind of like tragic, terrible implication for Kenzie and Victoria, right? Like, I love that that moment. Like, it makes me sad because if she's in there, it means she can't be out here. Yeah, and that's so sad. But like, those two would love to push the swan song side of damsel to the forefront and push the damsel side to the background. They'd love if that happened, right? Because they'd get their friend back. Yeah. So like there's a lot of implications for what this could mean. I, I feel like both of them understand that that's not really practical. Like sure. like the, but but I think they both also inevitably are drawn to Damsel and and kind of hope that at least they'll get to see some some figment of their of their friend. Yeah, I mean like Kenzie tried to make the the not AI version of Ashley, yeah. right? And she yeah. didn't 
she couldn't do it because it wasn't close enough and that made it worse. Well, here's a damsel that has that Ashley in them. Don't you just want to hang out with her? Cause you'll get to see that version of, of, of Ashley every so often. Right. Yeah. Even if it's yeah. just a glimmer between being a crazy ranting, abusive right. jerk. Right. Right. Yeah. Ugh, it's so yeah. rough. So, I mean, what is this like? We talked about the shard afterlife so much in this book um, and and March's understanding of what it was didn't prove to be accurate. But is this kind of kind of sort of kind of what that is in that, like a version of herself lives on kind of maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we know essentially for a fact at this point that the shards basically archive the people that they're yeah. attached to and yeah. what they do with that archive at this point is probably nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know if they, uh, yeah, I, I guess we don't really know. Um, I mean, that's what the dreams are. The dreams are damsel is accessing the archive, yeah. the archive every night while she's. Yeah. Asleep. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's pretty horrifying because now I'm remembering what happened to snag. And as he's dying, he's, he's realizing that um, it was basically just going to be an endless sleep, uh, like an <laughs> endless series of dreams that he would never wake up from. Cool. Oh, so he's God. just going through his archive. I think so. And maybe all of them. Jesus, that's fucking the worst. Uh-huh. That's just that's just awful. Shards, man. Gotta love them. Oh, my God. This this universe <laughs> is so horrifying. This is this is joining. This is like the most horrifying universe, basically. It really is like just living in here. It's <sighs> nightmarish. Oh yeah. Yeah. Stuff like uh, stuff like Dinah is like in 14 percent of these. We don't even get to die is is, is like, yeah, like that's Yeah. That's totally what's going to happen. This is oh my this horrible God. shit. I hate it, but yeah. also I love it. I do. Um, so anyway, moving on to more cheerful matters. Sure. Uh, we, we see that one of the Huntsman's members, a flyer with a glass spear, is none other than Etna. Hey! And uh, she actually gets a compliment from Victoria. She does. And she um, gets a, she gets a, we're good. Don't worry. Yeah. It's cool that she has, you know, she has a glass spear. Um Part of that could be that she doesn't want to use her power in the danger zone. Part mm-hmm. of it could be that she's like willingly, as a hero, decided she's not going to use the extremely deadly and dangerous glass, liquid molten glass throwing power. Yeah, I'm going to admit that I forgot about the rules thing and I immediately went to the she's altered her power to make it like a less destructive and violent version of it because I forgot about the rules. But um, I think I think there's some cre- credence to that because like she has the the wherewithal to have a spear, right? It's like that. She, 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 I'm just imagining she probably did that ahead of time. You know, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Well, we know she did because any power yeah. use has to be done ahead of time. Hey, yeah. one thing we didn't talk about is how Tristan uses his power. True, and and I think Rain does too. <laughs> and I'm not sure that he I'm not sure that he uses it according to the rules. Um. So yeah. Uh. But like that's but like we knew it. We knew that was going to happen because you're fighting these villains who are not holding back at all. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you, like, it seems like Tristan just used it like the barest possible amount that he could get away with just to sure, like, dis- sure. disable someone. But, but yeah. But I think it just shows like how, how just how thin that ice they're skating on is even when every time they go out and try to engage in these things, even if they're trying their best, you know, you get pushed into a situation where it's like die or, or just use my power just a little bit. Just real quick. Right. Yep. Yep. So the chapter ends with the team trying to think about how to arrange another meeting with Damsel. Yeah, so we get the most ominous chapter end in a while here, right? Uh Where Victoria, frustrated, says, okay, we're going to talk to her. 
and, and then we'll deal with the dream stuff because this situation is untenable. If we're going to have to take the high road again, I don't want it to be because we're accepting more losses. We might as well take the highest road and decide things. And so that to me is the exact power that that uh, that a defiant warned them against going for. She's like, no, we're going to do this. We have to do this. I'm tired of this. And I'm like, oh, my God, Victoria. You're really scaring me. The whole the whole back of your head implication that the person that causes this this horrible event could very well be our protagonist just keeps keeps buzzing around in my head, Matt. Yep. I mean, that that, that was kind of where where that's honestly today I was like, yeah, I mean, we're we're lining up a lot of variables that make it seem like um the the disaster is going to be centered around our protagonist. Mm-hmm. But um how exactly that's going to happen is not clear, and I think that's kind of going to be the fun of this arc. Assuming we're right, of course, um, it's going to be it's going to be twists and turns, and it's going to be complicated. Yeah, the trick to um, being right about this, Matt, is to express utmost confidence that you are, and then if you aren't, just never mention it again and hope yeah. everyone forgets. Works pretty well. Yep. So let's talk uh, for a second about from uh, what from within means in context of everything so far in the arc. Sure. So. Uh, I got a, a few things. Waste is expressing her will from within Victoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mockument manifests particularly shitty realities and distortions that exist within people into reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see glimmers of swan song manifesting from within damsel. Yeah. Um, I suppose I'll add to that the whole aspect of Byron interest in being a continual, um, you know, from within. I think we talked about that last week, though. That's why I didn't want to harp on it, but... Um, yeah, there's a lot of that stuff. There's a lot of there's a lot of from within happening in this yeah, arc. Yeah, and uh, hey, not um, not many of them are like super positive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. remember, remember when we started the arc, and I was all like, "I'm gonna interpret this positively. Yeah. It's the light, the power from within, the goodness. It's gonna." Well, here's all the. Yeah. This is all not great. <laughs> there's a lot of ways for bad things to come from within. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Who who could have seen that coming? Except for <laughs> everybody. Yeah, any reader of this story. Um, <laughs> Are you trying to tell me the, this, the good things don't happen as much as the bad things happen? It's all about seeing the glass as half full. The glass spear as half full. It's half full of... of Molten. M- molten glass or <laughs> sludge from some other dimension or something. I don't oh, know. Something right. horrible. <laughs> all right. Discussion question from last week was, how do you relate to Victoria? I loved these answers, Matt. I thought this was really great. Yeah. Um, you know, the reason I, I asked this is, is uh, you know, the, the tendency of Victoria to push herself too hard was the thing that I related to. How she, 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 has, her, she has her cold and she, she's sort of faking at taking care of herself, but she's also like taking care of everyone else. That's kind of how I always end up doing things. So that was my answer. That was why I asked. I just wanted to get that out of the way up front. Cool. Uh, so Kayakin says that they're related to, the, to Victoria's Cape Geek side, always wanting to know, even just collecting information for its own sake. And uh, in this aspect of her character is indeed front and center from chapter one. I think out of all the answers we got, this was the most shocking to me. I really didn't uh-huh. expect Kayakin to go with the, the Cape Geek side of things. Yeah, yeah, real surprise. Yeah. Roundest Frog says they relate to Victoria because they have a cold right now and it fucking sucks. Fair. fair. Yeah, that's one of the most highly upvoted answers, too. (laughs) 
Uh, Waffle Shot says they can relate to the point in Victoria's life where she was a disgusting flesh monster. Hey, I think we all feel that way. Yeah, I. That's me every day. Disgusting flesh monster. Yep. Aren't we all just we a disgusting are. flesh monster? Yeah. We are pretty gross. Like humans I mean, are pretty gross. Yeah, I mean, when you like every every animal, when you really think about it, when you really think about it. Is a disgusting flesh monster. Yeah, but I mean, I, I get this. I get the the, the feeling, you know, the, the feeling of disgust with your own body. The, yeah. the, like I that's I think that's a very understandable feeling. Yeah. Ellardy admires Victoria's strength of belief that no one person should be making the hard choices. She takes leadership, but encourages others to question her and has an elaborate mental algorithm meant to check her own biases. I agree. And if yeah. I had to answer this question, I think I would say something similar to, to LRD here. I, re- I really admire that aspect of her character. Yeah, at least she did all that stuff until recently. Am I right? <laughs> um, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, Hero Vorpal relates to Victoria in that they are overwhel- overwhelmingly lawful, to use the D&D term. They find it difficult to break even small and inconsequential rules. And to quote them, her mantra, the time she ceded control to the patrol block leader who was a former desk jockey, her sometimes irrational frustration about why capes can't, uh, I'm sorry, about why can't people just behave, all are things that resonate deeply with how I process the world and live my life. It's also fascinating watching how she copes when she does break rules, the rationalizing, the arguing uh, that what she was doing really was right because these are all things that I've done as well. Yeah, uh, I agree with this answer, too. I, I see a lot of myself in Victoria in this as well. Um, mm-hmm. I just chastised my wife yesterday for getting a warning in a school zone where she's like, I didn't deserve this. And I said, well, were you speeding? And she said, yeah, but just a little. That's not the point. <laughs> exactly. You're such a deontologist, Scott. Uh, apparently. Mr. Coggs relates to Vicky's tendency to play peacemaker and try to de-escalate situations. Victoria is also less of an every woman than Taylor, much more distinct and less of a YA audience surrogate in terms of character background. Victoria has a lot of very specific baggage and history. While this makes her harder to just inhabit automatically, it ultimately makes her a richer character. Yeah, I like this answer a lot. It it actually made me um, contrast Taylor and Victoria in a way that I hadn't before and realize um, just realize how much Victoria's grown on me and how much I love her as a character and how complex she is. And I, I hadn't really, I hadn't really done that exercise in a while of kind of sitting back from it and, and thinking about her character. Mm-hmm. I think she's a better character than Taylor and maybe I'm going to get yelled at now, but I love <laughs> yeah, Taylor. I love I, Taylor. She's a wonderful character. I think Victoria's a better character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the wild has grown so much as a writer that mm-hmm. it, that can't help but be the case. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still love Taylor, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Um, so, uh, sorry, Sarah Penguin lists a number of attributes that help them relate to Victoria. They relate to Victoria's scholarliness, uh, ignoring self-care to help others, body image issues and dissociation, and love of Ashley. Of course. Got to have that love of Ashley. Yep. Uh, next sec. How do you, wait, how do you say that? Next sec, maybe? Next sec? Sure. Next sec. say it relates to Victoria's confidence in her abilities, which sits side by side with her uncertainty in other realms. Yeah, I, that's a good answer, too. I think that's a very relatable aspect of her, right? Like you, when you when you know you're comfortable in the things you know you're good at, but like everything else, you're like, oh, yeah. I have a lot of anxiety about this. Right. Yeah, it's it, that's very it's very human. It's very mm-hmm. human to like she, she's believable as a as a badass, hyper confident superhero and also believable as 
someone who really doesn't have her shit together in some other realms, even yep. though she's trying. Yep. Death of the artist primarily prim- primarily relates to Victoria's inability to care for herself mentally. They will always put their own needs second to others. Uh, death of the artist. I'm sorry. That's rough. Yeah. 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 Understandable. Yeah. Just yeah. self-care, buddy. Yep. Treat yourself. That's not, that doesn't really work in that case. Do it uh, anyway. X da das X das X says they relate to Victoria's family issues, though Carol is a much better mom. Oof. I'm sorry. Yikes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. That sucks. Yeah. I, I have a very good relationship with my family, but even I like have moments where I'm just like, God, my family. Stop being a Carol, mom. Um, so yeah. I, I get that. I'm sorry you have I'm sorry you have a rough relationship with your family. That's no one should have to go through that, but many of us do. Yeah, family family difficulties can be uniquely horrible. Um and uh yeah, I wish everyone the best of luck with that. There there were a few answers this week that actually mentioned uh family issues. Yeah. Genovista relates to Victoria's strong moral code, uh trouble thinking about their body, bad relationship with their mom, and a similar way of dealing with trauma. They add, it's opened up my eyes to pain and coping mechanisms that I wasn't aware of and made it easier for me to confront some of my trauma. I think that's true of me too, honestly. Like, I don't I just the watching a character dodge uh, and, and uh, uh, sort of deal with intrusive thoughts for a, a lot, it mm-hmm. really highlights when you're doing that yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, the same was true with Taylor as well, kind of for yeah. me, that like Taylor's great ability to compartmentalize like thinking about it so much has allowed me to like recognize that in myself as well because i definitely do that so yeah i mean just like when i started this book i was basically in the position of being like i don't i don't have any trauma i've had a really (laughs) i've had a i've had a charming life i don't really have any trauma and it's Mm -hmm. like it's like just because you haven't had you just because you haven't been turned into a a flesh monster doesn't mean you haven't had any trauma right and And it doesn't actually do you any harm to admit that you probably have and that you could do yourself some good by actually working on that and i think it is very much uh something that people with a lot with trauma do is they compare their trauma to other people's trauma and they say well this isn't as bad as what someone else had to go through so i have no i shouldn't complain about this or i should just miss it or Uh, yeah Sorry, <laughs> that involuntary sound was me remembering being a teenager and <laughs> and my friends like telling me about their problems and me being like, yeah, but your problems aren't actually that bad compared yeah. to like these other people over here. Yeah, don't do honestly. That. Sometimes I think people need to hear that or, or or it helps to hear that, but sometimes not. <laughs> yeah, sometimes not. I mean, like that's the thing is like problems are problems, and if it's stuff you're going through, like it, it might help sometimes to recognize that if you have it better off than some people, but that that also should not cause you to. Uh, ignore or dismiss the shit that you've gone yeah. through. Yeah, I'd phrase it as if contrasting your problems with other people's problems instantly cheers you up and you never think about that again, great. If not, <laughs> then you probably need to actually deal with it. Yeah, and, and we are not psychologists, so. That's true. Don't don't listen. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Not- I've read a couple of web serials, though. That is true. Uh, Nihil Supernum says the main way they connect with her is self-awareness and introspection, her constant internal questioning of why am I feeling this way? How is it affecting people? What can I do about it? She's also more morally conscious than Taylor, or at least moral in a different way. Uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Because, I mean, it's it's true that Taylor was actually quite concerned with right and wrong. It's just like her her algorithm for 
disambiguating between right and wrong was constantly changing based on what her situation was. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, whereas Victoria is trying to be grounded constantly. Yeah. Heaven's chocolate relates to Victoria's struggle to let go of the past and try to move on and her constant hammering of herself with mistakes of the past. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very yeah. realistic uh, thing that, that Victoria does. Yeah. Just, I'm like, this is like, this is, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I do that too. And I do that too. And I do that too. And I do, I was, yeah. stop it, Scott. <laughs> uh, Wild those got our number. Yeah. Uh, Antichrist relates to being hurt by a terrible mom so consumed by her own issues that she can't effectively parent. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Again, family. sorry about that. Antichrist. That's all I sucks. can say is family. It's yeah. I think yeah. there's a reason why this particular part of Victoria's character is so relatable because we're all screwed up people. And then sometimes screwed up people uh, make more people, but, uh-huh. but don't get less screwed up. And then I that just he- screws up the, the other people. Yeah, I think even if you uh, even if you have a good relationship with your parents, you can probably find moments where they're just a little bit on the Carol side, you know? Yeah, uh, I'm just, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah. Can confirm. Data Snake 69 relates to Victoria in that they both hate Amy a lot, like a lot. Yeah, totally understandable. Yeah. I just love that, like, how much my, my opinion of this character has changed throughout this book. <laughs> and, and, and I will willfully admit that some of that was a result of me just not really ever efficiently connecting the dots, sufficiently connecting the dots between what she did in worm. Um, we mm-hmm. talked about that already, but I'm on the same page as you though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Skanderson connects to Victoria through her recovery. They relate to her initial struggles and bad headspace and the journey of small victories and gradual development of mental fortitude. Yeah. That's, that's how it's done. Yeah. It's very, it's just such a realistically written progression from, from trauma through recovery that, that doesn't, that doesn't permit any magical, uh, uh, instant solutions of the problems, you know? Yeah. It's great. And then finally, Wanson says that at first it was easy to relate to Victoria because she was adrift, not knowing what the future held, struggling to establish a routine. Um, being thrown out of the patrol block was also an uncomfortable and a relatable experience. But as the story has gone on and she's found her place, it's harder to relate to her, except in how she cares for her team. Well, that just gives you like a, a goal to shoot for Wanson. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I mean, I, I and, and I feel like it's I feel like it's fair, like she has gone through this journey and depending on where yeah. you are on your personal journey, different parts of the story may resonate more. And that, yeah. And, that, and, that, yeah. And I don't want to dismiss the struggles that the character has gone, gone through, but it's a book, right? Like you read the book and the character gets better because it's a book. It's, yeah. it's, it's certainly a lot easier than in real life. You going through your own personal struggles and, and trying to trying to become the most idealized version of yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, it's really easy to turn a page. It's really hard to get over trauma. There's no climax to your life. Like this is something it took me an embarrassingly long amount of my life to realize that like I wasn't going to get to the part of my life that was like the climax of a book Yeah, where everything is solved and it's awesome. And then from there you're just like, yay. And then happily ever after. How old were you when you were like, okay, I have to stop considering life as a thing that's going to start any day now and recognize that this is it. It's started. It's here. Cause I was embarrassingly old. I was like mid twenties when I was like, yeah, I was going to, I was going to say mid to late twenties. Um, 
just based on, I mean, and, and you'd probably say the same thing, just watching my life trajectory. I didn't really, I didn't really seize control of my destiny uh, yeah. until I was about that age. Yeah. Well, uh, and I had yeah. this, I had this weird thing where I was a senior dating a freshman in college. Uh -huh. So I graduated and then moved to Dallas and then had to wait three. It ended up being four cause she stayed and got a grad degree, but four uh -huh. years for her to graduate and come move up here. So like literally for me, 22 to 26 was my entire life basically on pause. Cause I was just, I was just waiting and I shouldn't have done that. Not that, not that I shouldn't have, you know, yes, that relationship didn't work out. I, not that I shouldn't have done that, but I shouldn't have treated my life like it was on pause waiting for this one thing to happen. Um, so that's why I think I felt that way. But yeah, I, I feel like, um, the, the basically failure of, of my ability to get the job that I expected out of undergraduate and then sort of like flailingly getting into graduate school and, then having that like making that work for myself was was my kind of uh protagonist journey of of realizing <laughs> like oh like i i actually have to like be steering here i can't just continue to like fall into the next thing that is waiting for me yeah um yeah. which is how which is really like you go from middle school to high school to college and then you and then after college you're suddenly adrift and and you either take charge or uh the world does with you what it will yep um yay so, yeah. Growing up, yay! This so, but, week on but, on we've got adults, and we've got personal stories about our lives. I mean, I think it's interesting that both of us basically referenced a time that was that could be construed as like a personal failure that galvanized us to um, respond by uh, being like, "Okay, I can't, I can't just let the, I can't just keep letting things happen to me." Right. Um, right. So yeah. yeah, cool. Cool. All right. Um, well, that was fun. Uh, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are, are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us. The new discussion question. Oh, yeah. The blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the new discussion question is, are Damsel and Swansong the same person? Why or why not? Guys, this is such a Matt question. This is the most Matt question that ever Matt questioned. Uh, define uh, personality and existence right. and consciousness. Go. Just do that. It'll be yeah. an easy question. I mean, really, it's about the why or why not, right? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's just, you have to justify it. It's not, <laughs> there is no right answer. Just, it's, it's about your reasoning. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Looking forward to the answers to that one. And that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via our email. We love getting email at gotwormpod at gmail.com. That came off a little sarcastic. I did not mean it that way. We actually do really like getting email. Please continue to email us. Uh, or you could reach us on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85, and Matt's is at um, Mordina Consciousness Thoughts. Yep, and and I just love getting tweets from people. Um, that was sarcasm. <laughs> if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find this and all the other shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. That's where you will find, I don't know, what show we want to do this week, Matt? Um, which, which is one we haven't talked about in a while? Uh, I mean, we... I don't, we got so many shows now. I, got I was like going to eight shows. I was going to mention if you're not paying attention to do the right thing, the words this week are stray, historical, dolls, rightful. If you don't know what that means, 
I guess there's only one thing for you to do now. Go on over to do the right thing, check it out, get the context, write a story, etc. Fuck. Um, that was great, Matt. Well oh, done. You really just teased him. Yeah. Just yeah, teased the shit out of him. That's how you do it. Let's uh, <laughs> Deep Impact. What is that? No one knows. Go check it out. It's a movie um, about an asteroid. That's right. Actually, I think <laughs> it's, it's a comet. <laughs> what is that not? Uh, I think that's like the first time anyone's ever explicitly mentioned that in any of the shows. <laughs> um, yeah, go check yeah. out doofmedia.com and see all our shows. Uh, we love them. They're great. We're so happy to have these people as part of our network. Um, and we love you guys to be our listeners. We sure do. Um, that wasn't proper English. That's that's fine. I don't know where we are in the script anymore. Anyway, if you want to support any of our shows, consider donating to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in the fan art and costume contests, uh, hangout sessions with us and the rest of the Doof crew. We have started doing this officially, actually. We played, what are those games called? Jackbox. Jackbox games with the Deep Impact and... Um, and the, uh, and wanted to do the right things to do the right thing, fellas, <laughs> um, last week. And it was can we, great. Can we please continue? To, we hung out with one of the do the right things. <laughs> one of the do the right things. <laughs> um, one of them is a do the right thing. Um, do the right thing. One, do the right thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, access to our live stream, uh, recording sessions like this very one and the excellent lively discord chat. Uh, where everyone spends all their time. That do the right thinger's name was Matthias, by the way. That's um, true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did that Jackbox session was a lot of fun. We're we're working on like cutting together like a a clip of it um, to kind cut. of show people, yeah, like a super cut to kind of show people what it is. Because I think one of the things is we we started this new and we're calling it like Doof and Chill, and it's this really kind of nebulous hangout session where we're just like we're just gonna hang out for a couple hours and do things, and people are like, "What does that mean?" And I'm like, <laughs> I, "I don't know. know. <laughs> we'll figure it out." So yeah, we're gonna cut together. Uh, I think I think I forget who's working on that. One of our excellent Australians is working on that. Um, <laughs> we respect people as individuals, um, but you'll see that you'll see that on the YouTube channel. In the future, um, and so you get an idea of what that is. But yeah, uh, thanks to all our patrons. And while you're over there on Patreon, make sure you go to patreon.com slash and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. And this week, we have some special thanks for our new patrons. Bidoofs at the $1 level, Jason B. and Isaac W. Doof Dancers at the $5 level, Jeremy B., Ming S., and Literally Bismarck. Uh, Doof Troop at the $10 level, Kirsten D, Doof Warrior at the $20 level, Daniel M, and a new Supreme Leader Doof at the $45 level, Isha Moradin upgraded to this role. Um, thanks so much, everyone. We really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to all of the stuff that you're going to make us watch and read and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Isha Moradin wanted us to watch some anime. I think um, so. I, I just want to say real quick, like, this, uh, we, we changed around how our uh, Patreon worked this month. And the uh, the response you guys have have shown us is 
Like, wonderful. We really appreciate it. It was something I was really worried about. I didn't want to make it seem like we were taking things away from people. I, I, I want it to feel like people are getting value out of it and and uh, are, are their, their dollars are being well spent. And I was really, really nervous about it. And your guys' response has been incredible. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much. We really, really do appreciate it. We are so close to doing our next, to getting to our next goal and therefore you know, having to start our next show about Dark Tower. Um, so close that I've actually started doing behind the scenes work to prepare for that because it seems like it's going to be inevitable at this point. And that's really exciting because when we set that goal, Matt, I think we just threw like an impossible, unachievable number up there. We did. And we're 16 patrons away from hitting it, 15 patrons. And it's just like, guys, wow, you are, uh, you're amazing. I love you all. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's really awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah. And of course, if you can't donate right now, that's absolutely OK, too. Like we love we love all our listeners and there are tons of ways to help us out. If you want to, you can, you know, reach out to people, share the show with them, share word and worm with them. Uh, you'd probably do that anyway. But uh, <laughs> but also share our podcast with them. Um or you can email a bunch of other podcasts about us because that's what we've started doing. It's just we're, we're networking with other podcasters. So. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to need you to start name dropping us on uh, other yeah. podcasts. Reddits. Be, be relentless, like get yeah. get banned from. Yeah, get, yeah, seriously, for... get that's that's what you can do for me <laughs> is you can get banned from as many subreddits as possible. Yeah. All right. Great. That's all. That's all we got for you this week. Next week from within continues. I'm I'm excited and scared at the same time. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty scared. I'm pretty alarmed. Thank you.